Hello, and welcome to another episode of The Sensuous Sounds of InfoSec, where we discuss all things information, all things security, and all things information security. I'm Ben Maliso. And I'm Matt Snotty. Slow on the draw, but Matt, we're both authorized, certified experts in the field of IT and security. And do you know what makes this absolute, what makes us most absolutely qualified to do? Uh, be really good looking and sit around and drink beer. Well, that too, of course. I mean, yes, <laughs> that's why you go and get a certification. But more importantly, to whine and bitch about the things that are common to all of our experience <laughs> in the information systems and security world. So for the next 30, 45, 60 minutes, oh my gosh. you and I, for a long time. oh gosh, this, this could be, this could be a historical episode. We could, we <laughs> could go ad infinitum. We could go until next week's episode talking about the things that most irk us and when starting this topic in the realm of it we have to talk about the biggest thing the thing that is most loathsome the thing that is most discouraging the thing that is most enervating about the entire it environment and you of course know what that is uh really cold server rooms <laughs> Um, actually, actually, those have always made me kind of sleepy and I've always found yeah. them really good for napping. I mean, yeah. and in the old days, you know, and this is not a complaint. This is actually, this is kind of a, a, a good brag for our industry. When we, when we used to have those raised floors, you could mm -hmm. keep your beer cold under there very well. <laughs> that was, yeah. That was that was a great place for chilling stuff, you know? Yeah, right, right. It's built-in refrigerator. Yeah. Yes, yeah. I don't think yeah. that I ever well, actually I was about to say I don't think I've ever been then I just thought, yes, I have. I, oh, I right have had alcohol in, in in the workplace before. So yeah. <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah, the, I'm sorry. I, I yeah, I changed the topic. Yes. What was the, the absolute um, the absolute worst thing in the IT environment is the user. Oh, oh my gosh. Yeah. And you've said it before. We've had this discussion before. The job would be great if it wasn't for the end users because they always oh, yeah. screw up our perfect systems. My <laughs> network would be pristine if they didn't get their grubby little hands all over it, right? <laughs> if no one ever touched it. If no one ever did anything to it, it, it would, would work perfect. great. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> It's kind of like building a Lego set and, and, and you have this perfect Lego model of something, but that's not what Legos are for. Legos aren't for to, aren't, aren't to sit on a shelf and just stare at They're They're there to play with and they're there to be, you know, build other things with. But after you build that, that Lego Millennium Falcon or that Lego Starship or, 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 uh, or whatever, you got to take it apart again and then build something else with it. And it's the same thing with our networks and, and, and the end users, you turn them loose on a network and, um, they have to do the work. That's why we're there. We're, we're, we're kind of in a service industry. We, we have to, to, to provide this technology to the end users, but at the same time, the end users cause all the frustration and, and break all of our toys that we've carefully put together for them. And I want to follow on the heels of that. You, you've brought up two good concepts, but to begin with, let's talk about the codes that we've historically used in this industry to describe users. Those would be PEBCAC, yeah, which is yes. problem exists between keyboard and chair. Correct. And ID10T error. Yep. Yep. Spell it spells out the word idiot, but idiots. Yeah, yes. Yes. It's a, it's a backhanded way uh, among uh, IT professionals to refer to to the end users or 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 certain types of errors. Oh, it's a PEBCAC error, or it's an ID10T error. Correct. Yeah, you've got somebody who just, uh, uh, yeah, doesn't know how to work the technology, and and uh, you've got to kind of hold their hand and, and and walk them through it. Now, I have to, I, I have to walk back a bit my animosity towards the users because <laughs> I also am a user of systems, and I understand the frustration. I've called help desk. I've filed tech support tickets. I did one today. There's one that's driving me crazy. And we, we can talk about this in a little while too. Um, 
And I know the frustration of understanding what the issue is, being having an impossibility of conveying that to tech support, them not understanding, they're running through their little checklist and they're reading their scripts and they're not hearing what I'm saying and I'm not able to communicate in a way that they can understand and address and find the solution. So as much as I like to inflict pain and torture on users because they do the same to us, I understand that they have their own concerns and, and they're viable and, and practical and objectively we exist to support them. Right, right. Yeah, because, and, and I find myself explaining this, especially to junior admins that I work with, um, that look, these, these end users, they are not computer experts like you are. They, they are experts in whatever they're doing, and, and be it finance or be it sales or whatever department they're, they're hired for. That's all they want to do is, is the, you know, crunching the numbers or, or, or making the deal. They, they're just using our toys to, to do this stuff with. And so, yeah, we can't expect them to, to know what an IP address is or, uh, or what a firewall is or anything like that. So, yeah, you got to get cut, cut them some slack because, yeah, all they want to do is make their money and do, do what they, they, they want to do. But at the same token, you have to understand the technology at least a little bit. And so and some users just don't, don't even want to make that first leap. Oh, and there's the apocryphal story of, in the old days, the user who filed the tech support ticket because their coffee holder, their beverage tray wasn't working. <laughs> and it turned out they yeah. tried to rest the coffee cup on the CD. Um, CD tray. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Which, again, I'm not so sure that's ever occurred. It's oh, I am. I've, I, I've oh, seen you've it. seen that? I've, Oh yes, you and that? not just once. Yes, yes, <laughs> <laughs> that is a reality. As, as someone who's been occur? in IT since 1994, yes, uh, all of those uh, tropes, all of those uh, uh, urban myths about uh, yeah, what what tech support deals with and 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 the woes, uh, yeah, especially back in the mid to late 90s. Yes, all those were true, and I have seen them firsthand, especially okay. right. the cup holder. Let me ask you this one, because this one, again, it seemed a little too pat to actually have occurred. You tell me if you've ever seen this in the wild. There's the story of the user who called help desk because they wanted to get their document onto the computer. And the help desk technician said, well, you have to um, you have to install or you have to load the file from the disk and you do that by putting it into the disk drive and when tech support finally went to do a an actual desk visit of this user they found out that the user had folded up a piece of paper and slid it into the drive <laughs> the drive slot because that's how they thought they were supposed to you know, right. like it was a scanner or something. tell me you've never seen that I don't think I've ever actually seen that. So yeah, that one may actually be a true. That's an urban legend. That's a, that's an IT legend is what that yeah, is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now I have had end users who, when you say reboot the computer and they go, okay, it's rebooted three seconds later. You go, no, there's there's no way it rebooted. They turn the monitor seconds. off and on. Yes, they turned oh. off the monitor. They oh. turn it back on and, yeah, and lo and behold, the error is still there, of course, so. <laughs> All so right. no, rebooting the computer didn't fix it. But but yes, all I have to say, yeah, end users, um, um, companies used to pay for training for, for end users, like basic, you know, knowledge of how to use a computer system, how to use a word processor, a spreadsheet and stuff like that. And that's all kind of gone out the window as we sit here today, I, I think. No one really trains anyone on, on how to actually use a computer. So everything has to be learned through either on the job or by seeing someone else do it. And that means that a lot of people are figuring stuff out on their own or, or, or creating bad habits um, that then propagate, especially if a user 10 years ago said, well, this is the way that I do it. And every person that they trained since then, they've taught this way and it's the wrong way or it's caught, it, it, it leads to other problems down the road. So I think that training comes into, a, uh, comes into play with some of the, the, the end user stuff. But it, I don't know. At the same time, uh, as someone with kids who are in college and high school right now, they they already know a lot of this stuff, and and the user the um, the applications have become 
a lot easier to deal with, but there are still some very complex applications out there that you just have to learn through some sort of formal training on how to use properly. And and I'll go a step further then. I mean, this can be another one of our complaints uh, to, to follow on from the users. Um, I remember sitting through some of that training as even a neophyte, you know, pre-IT person, and uh, it was interminable. I mean, the, the, the instructors True. were awful. The material yeah. was was terrible. They would give you uh, mimeographed or, or photocopied handouts of the step-by-step screen caps that were just terrible, that, that you could not visually follow in any sensible manner. And, and there'd be widows yeah. and orphans on the page, so you'd have to flip back and forth. And the instructions were not written by technical writers. So I, again, from the user perspective, that, that, was, that was pretty awful too. Now, I remember when yeah. Microsoft first came out with the mouse certification, you remember that? It was uh, no. There's a certification on using a mouse. <laughs> it was it was the shorthand. I, I think it was. Uh, oh, what the hell? Microsoft user system or something like that. I mean, it was okay. it was basically how to use Microsoft programs, and they okay. had they had one for Windows, they had one for Word, they had one for Excel, they had one for Outlook, and it was okay. basic, simple you go through these things and then you were a certified user. Okay, okay. No, I, I, I don't recall that, but yeah, that sounds like a good program. And, and that made sense, again, at the time when people were entering a workforce or transitioning within the workforce from IBM Selectrix up to, mm-hmm. you know, a, a Windows 3.1 or a Windows 98, 95 system. And I thought that was a good step in the right direction. And that training was actually decent. It was still a little bit, it was still imperfect. But now most of the tutorials um, seem to be more user-centric and allow the user to drive and do it at their own pace. Oh, did I lose you? Right. Yep. Nope. There you are. (laughs) Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So no, you blinked up there for a second. I'm sorry, but but yeah, yeah, um, yeah. The self-paced learning, and and also keep in mind, we're we're old enough that we've seen the old programs that used to come with the inch-thick books, the actual user manuals that would tell you how to do stuff as well. So if you needed to know how to save a file or how to open a file or print a file or something like that, you just pull it up in the book, and and it would it would it, it would tell you everything on how to do it and stuff. No, like it that. didn't. And, and no, all those, that's going out the door. Those books were awful. But- <laughs> I, I, re- I remember when I got my first modem, a Haze uh-huh. 9K baud, I want to say. I mean, this was an external to an Apple IIe. Uh-huh. And, and like you said, the manual was an inch thick and, you know, spiral bound. Uh-huh. And it was it was saying things like, you know, flip the dip switches and the yeah, IO. Yeah. That was, that was shit. Keys, yeah. Oh, it was insane. There was no way I was ever going to be able to do that. That just didn't make any sense. And to expect a user, it, it was it was far from plug and play. We did not have USB. You'd have to open up the the console itself and insert a card and then teach the system to recognize the card in the BIOS. I mean, yeah. it was abhorrent. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, the good old days, right? <laughs> <laughs> you know who I credit? For fixing instruction, games, the gaming community. Oh, yeah, yeah, because games have have turned into the first level of any new game that you you buy these days is basically a tutorial that that steps you through. And even going back to the old Super Mario Brothers, the very first level of Super Mario Brothers in the old Nintendo from 1985 was basically a tutorial on, okay, Here's how you jump. Here's how you throw a fireball. Here's how you kill an enemy, stuff like that. So yes, I, I agree with you completely there. And games these days are super complex. And so, yeah, they have to run through a tutorial just to show you what all the buttons mean and all the messages on the screen and all the you know numbers that you see and stuff like that. And how to interact with the environment and the other players. Mm-hmm. And, and, and there's usually a help and you can scroll back. And again, this is very user-centric at the user's own pace. And it's completely intuitive. It has to be 
because you know somebody's dropped 60 bucks on a game they they put the game in, they want it to play you know yep and they want to get go. They want to hit the ground running. And you can skip the tutorial and doom on you if you do. But uh, the other thing that's that the gaming community did, which I think is brilliant, is they've learned that if their controls are not mapped to the typical um, interactions that most users have learned from other similar types of games, whether it's a first-person shooter or a driving game, then that has to be highlighted in the tutorial right away and it has to be called out and the user has to demonstrate that two or three times before they're allowed to move on otherwise their muscle memory and their fast twitch is just going to go back to what they already know Uh, i I wish our community would get better at that at our gamification of our of our uh tools yeah yeah Uh, and i i guess it's just Jobs have become so complex and and use so many different pieces of software and, and so many. I mean, a, a typical office worker today doesn't just use one piece of software. They use probably twenty different pieces of software across multiple different types of computing devices, not just their 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 desktop computer, but also their phone or tablet or something like that, or or maybe some some specialized appliance that they have to use or something. So yeah, it's uh, I, I get it. It's it's tough to do, which all goes back to the you know complexity being the root of all evil in our our, our industry. If it wasn't so complex, it wouldn't be so hard. But also, if it wasn't so complex, we wouldn't have specialists <laughs> like you and me. <laughs> and that takes me to the next thing that that you brought up when we first started complaining about users. One of my other complaints, massive complaints, and this is where again I pair or side with the user. Constant updates to shit that already works. Right. Is, <laughs> right. Right. There is zero reason for that, and and the 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 rate of refresh of our technology seems almost as if it's completely driven by job security as opposed to information security for those people who are technicians and engineers in those vendors and manufacturers who want to seemingly evolve their systems for no real purpose and no extra utility. Right. And I think that part of that goes back to the mentality of of software development that is currently the the standard because everybody's got an internet connection. Everybody's got a fast internet connection. And so therefore it is not as big of a deal to rush a piece of software out the door and on and onto a computing device when it's not completely ready to go yet. We see this all the time at case in point windows. Well, I was going to say windows 11, but every version of windows has been since windows XP has shipped basically incomplete and it's first first iteration. And with the expectation that regular patches and updates will come along, that will eventually get it to the point that you want it to be at. But it's but don't expect that very first version of it to to be where you want. And, and which leads to guys like me telling all my clients, you know, they get the button on that that pops up on their computer. Hey, do you want to? Your, your computer's ready. Are you ready to update to Windows 11? And I tell all of them no. Or I set up a a policy on a server that says absolutely not. Do not do it until I say that it's ready, you know, a year or 18 months from now. But yeah, back to your point. The, uh, no, I was, yeah, just the regular... gonna, I was just gonna ask you uh, what your uh, religious flavor is in terms of Windows 11. Have you made the jump? Have you started playing with it? And have you uh, convinced your clients to go one way or another? And you already answered that question. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, uh, uh, my, my, all my devices are still Windows 10. Uh, I think it's perfectly fine. I think it's stable. I think it's safe, uh, secure, uh, runs everything that I needed to run. So yeah, I don't need to update it. But that being said, I, I have been at clients, especially that are acquiring new hardware, uh, new laptops and stuff like that, who it comes shipped with Windows 11. So I had to learn it really quick. Uh, not that it's that different or, or that that hard to, to learn, but uh, yeah, any of them that have the ability to manage the the patches patch management systems in windows um i've told them to uh decline the windows 11 update for the time being and then at some point when you know when we all get comfortable with it yeah we'll 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 make that leap but uh now and and this is probably getting back to being an an older guy in in this industry unlike some of these younger you know 20 somethings that are just out of college and and you may be the same way ben 
uh, I, I get comfortable with, with the way that I have stuff set up. I get comfortable with the way things look. I, I like being able to fly through a desktop or through a piece of software, knowing exactly where to click to get what I need out of that piece of software or out of that operating system. And it's just, I'm, I, I'm, I'm grumpy and I'm old and I don't want to see it change. <laughs> That's what it comes down to. And if it does what I need it to do, when you change it, what you're actually doing is hindering my productivity as opposed to enhancing it. And and I'll blame Microsoft for this right out of the gate. Forget, forget 11. The ribbon. When they first put oh, yes. the ribbon in Microsoft <laughs> Word. And yeah, that as thing, an author, yeah. You use Word all the time, I'm sure. It drove me crazy. It, it was yeah. in the wrong place. It didn't look right. It was counterintuitive. It didn't feel the way I wanted it to feel. Yes, absolutely. I cannot stand and, and maybe this is the old guy saying, you know, you kids with your newfangled. But <laughs> why should we expect users to change their habits every two years? That's right. That's not enhancing the user experience. It's not offering some additional functionality. It's actually forcing an evolution that is unnecessary and actually slows everybody down. And then, like I said, harms productivity. Yeah. Right, right. Yeah, and especially, I'm sure that you're old enough. I, I certainly am uh, old enough to remember uh, WordPerfect, the the word processor that was the standard prior to Word. Bank Street Writer. <laughs> what was that? Bank Street Writer. Was that your word processor? That was my word choice? processor in in. Apple two plus oh, back wow. in eighth grade. <laughs> yeah, Word Perfect was like, and then there was Word Star, and then Word yeah. Perfect, and Lotus one two three. Uh, yeah, right. yeah. Well, the reason I bring up Word Perfect though is because Word Perfect had keyboard shortcuts. Yeah, and um, you and, and if you were a, a, a even moderately good at using Word Perfect, you didn't even need to touch the mouse. You never had to take your hands off the keyboard, so your fingers were always typing. And if you needed to bold something, underline something, save something, uh, uh, start a new paragraph, you know, all this stuff, it was all done through keyboard shortcuts. And uh, the legal industry in particular, they, they finally caught up and they're, they're using Word now, but for a very long time, well past when WordPerfect was, was no longer even being published, the legal industry, attorneys and, and the paralegals and the like, insisted on WordPerfect because that was how they made their living writing, you know, pages and pages of, uh, you know, pleadings and summaries and, and, you know, all, all the various uh, litigation documentation. And they loved WordPerfect and then none of them wanted to change. And I had attorneys as clients and I was like, no, no, you need to go to Word. And they were like, no, screw you. I like my <laughs> WordPerfect. And I have had people still running. I, actually, I know for, for a fact, I still have at least one attorney client that still runs a 15 year old version of WordPerfect because he refuses to change because he it, 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 it works too well for him. And his learning curve on trying to adapt to the next thing would slow him, again, it would cost right. him money and time. And yep. think about it from a security perspective. I mean, if you're using WordPerfect from 15 years ago, first of all, no one's trying to exploit you. <laughs> you hope. <laughs> Second of all, the points of ingress that exist for that kind of software simply are smaller. It's a much reduced footprint because yes. it, it, it's not a modern piece of, of word processing software. A modern word processing software, you, you click this button and it converts to HTML. You click this button and, and it you know sends it as an FTP. You click this button and it, it's web ready, whatever, you know. That doesn't yeah. exist in WordPerfect, and right. th therefore its vulnerabilities are greatly reduced. And I'm not trying to suggest security through obsolescence. I, we know how that works, right? <laughs> right, right. But but yeah, as far as software goes, WordPerfect is a pretty benign piece of software that uh, you're unlikely to to cause any major security vulnerabilities. Well, heck, I mean, the, it, it doesn't even require an internet connection. Every modern version of of uh, Word or Excel or anything like that. They all want to touch the internet for one thing or another. And yeah, WordPerfect doesn't care. And that's the thing is if you have an archaic system that is a, a true standalone where you have to sneaker net it to do anything, <laughs> yes, that's going to slow down your printing capacity or, you know, wh whatever you have to do in terms of centralized storage or backups. 
that's true. There are certain security functions that may be enhanced by having a network capacity. But if it's a true standalone, you're reducing a bunch of other threats and risks by not touching anybody else's machine. You still have to worry about the device getting stolen, but, you know. (laughs) Right. Yeah, that reminds me of there was a... Uh, back in the old Windows uh, NT days, this is prior to Windows 2000, Windows NT was actually certified by the Department of Defense as as, as meeting some major security standard that they had. Orange Book uh, C2. Oh, you, okay. So you know the chapter and verse of what it actually, uh, what security uh, yeah. uh, uh, standard that it met with the caveat that that device was never put on a network. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> as long as it was a standalone Windows NT box that was not on any kind of a network, yeah, it met all their security standards. Yep. And and, then, of course, and, and it's worth saying that this was for uh, unclassified systems. Okay. So, okay. I mean, so, I, yeah, if yeah. you had to go to a, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know. So, yeah, there, there were a lot of caveats in there. But, but, but yeah, n- nonetheless... Microsoft crowed that up and down saying, oh, yeah, we've got a super secure system. (laughs) And it was a big deal because it meant that Microsoft could uniformly uh, sell to any military units, to any any part of the DOD. And Mm -hmm. I think any part of the federal government, which was, you know, and that opened up a brand new door to Microsoft right as they were finishing up adjudicating their Department of Justice suit. Yeah, Yeah, the thing about... (laughs) You know, if a, con- explore. if a contractor walks like a duck and quacks like a duck, it might be an employee kind of thing. Yeah, uh-huh. that was right, there. Right. Yeah. yeah. 1099 versus W2. Yep. Yeah. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Um, <laughs> so, yeah. All right. So let's see. We've complained about users. We complained about yep. tech shift for no reason. Uh, <laughs> we've, we've, we've complained about bad instruction. Uh, yeah. What else to complain about? I have a major complaint, and, and part of this okay. is just because it's so fresh in my mind, because and because and, I was emailing you about this last night. Okay. But one of my biggest complaints in our industry, and it's not just a, a technological problem, it's always communication. Communication between people who have information with other people who need that information and the breakdown or the, the assumption that the communication is being made when in fact it hasn't been and therefore, someone like me <laughs> gets an alert at nine o'clock at night that an entire data center went down for a client, and I'm, uh, you know, even, uh, sitting on the couch watching YouTube and eating hot salsa, and all of a sudden I see an alert on my phone that that this is happening. I don't have any clue what's going on. I don't know if it's an attack of some sort. I don't know if it's a power outage or if it's an ISP outage or if it's something else altogether. Regardless, I got to get off my couch, put my chips and salsa away, go to my computer and start troubleshooting at nine o'clock at night when I'm ready to go to bed. And an hour, well, about 40 minutes into the troubleshooting, finally got the data center on the line. And lo and behold, the data center says to me, oh yeah, this is a planned outage. We we sent you all those emails. Yeah, exactly. You should have gotten an email. And I said, (laughs) You've got to be kidding me. No, I didn't get any email. Why are you assuming that I got an email? Well, you know, it went to the to the uh, address that's on the account. Okay, Who was well, the admin from idea. 10 years ago. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, exactly. That never got updated. So anyways, all that to say communication remains and, and, and by default uh, assumptions about uh, received communications remains one of the biggest, my biggest complaints about this industry as a whole because I, I, it, it, that that that's just a small example of, of of something that could have been a much more major breakdown of um, and loss of revenue, loss of uh, uh, time and productivity. Robin Thank and I, wasn't. Robin and I just rewatched Dodgeball for the umpteenth time <laughs> the other night, and the yep. sequence where the banker is explaining to Vince Vaughn that they're going to be foreclosing on him. He goes, "Well, no one ever told me." And they said, we sent you notices for six months to both your business and home and left you oh. voicemails. He goes, well, yeah, but I never read any of those. 
right, right. And I I think that's that's one of those things where the communication has to go both ways. It would have been interesting if that data center before they did their scheduled outage had a process where they actually confirmed that they had touched each customer in some fashion. Now, Now, again, that could delay the entire process for all of the customers because you're gonna go through those problems of some folks just aren't gonna reply or they don't find it important. And what are you gonna do? Send a courier to their house and knock on their front door? You know, how's that gonna happen, right? Um, right. Yeah. And, 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 and I see the, I see it from the other side. I see it from their side because as an admin, a, a practitioner of this stuff, I have had to cause downtime. I have communicated to the uh, end users or the stakeholders. Okay. This is going to be out of, out of service for this period of time. If anybody has any, uh, any objections, tell me now. And then <laughs> all, I, all, all I hear is crickets. I go to do my downtime so I can do whatever I'm doing. And then immediately five minutes later, start getting phone calls. Hey, why is this not working? So I've been on on, on both sides of it. And, and, you know, but it, it's one of those things like when you're teaching a class and you're using WebEx or, or Teams or Zoom or whatever, if you can't hear me, tell me, you know, yeah, how's that right. supposed to work? <laughs> you know, That's right. Yeah. How do you prove a negative? Exactly. Uh, and and uh, maybe, maybe it should work another way. Maybe you should have. Uh, a need for that positive interaction. There should be a confirmation. And and I'm not quite sure how we would achieve that. I'm not quite sure how you would demonstrate positive affirmation of a thing before taking the next step. Because if the contact info is bad, the contact info is bad. And who's responsible for that? And how do you ensure? Now, I would guess, and this would be my guess, and this is where, you know, I, I had a tech support issue earlier today where all these things are kind of rubbing me raw. <laughs> the billing still seems to work really fucking well. <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> they still they still send invoices and get paid just, just fine. <laughs> so maybe the communication channel should be the credit card or the bank account. Mm-hmm. And I will say this, they're... they're I think this is in response to U.S. tax policy more than anything else. But there are a lot of online services that I've used recently where in order to link a bank account, they uh, do the micro deposits into your account, three cents, Mm -hmm. nine cents, 15 Mm -hmm. cents. And you have to verify the amounts that you've received. That becomes your two-factor authentication. Yes, yes. That to me seems like that positive affirmation step. You know Mm -hmm. that they received it. You know, there is a financial proof there. And whatever communication channel the user chooses to utilize to make that happen, they're still getting that to the vendor. They're still communicating to the vendor. I did receive it. I'm verifying receipt. And you have excellent non-repudiation at that point. Yep, yep. That's that's true. Yeah, maybe and, that's and it, how and, the data center and the service should do it. You know, by depositing five cents in my bank account. Yes, <laughs> right. <laughs> to confirm receipt, please type the the amount of of change that we put into your account. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah and the uh, the United States Postal Service has a uh, for, for all of its faults, and people like to argue about it, but um, they have a really good system in place already as well no. for the. Uh, no, uh, you're no. shaking your head now. <laughs> Fuck the postal service. I'm sorry. I just moved. I just moved. And 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 I went to USPS.com to update my address. You know, just a, a basic change of address notification. They wanted to charge me a dollar eighteen cents to update my own address with the postal service that works for me. Really? That I've been subsidizing for 20 years. <laughs> I didn't realize that. I mean, that the, the little postcards you can send in are free, though. Do you remember you that? Do you remember the little postcard? You used to yeah, pick them yeah, up yeah. at the post office. Or you yeah. could drop a note in your mailbox for your postal yeah. carrier and say, give me a change address form. And they'd leave it the next day when they came by. Yeah. And then you just filled out the card and sent it to them, and they did it. Uh-huh. They don't I, do that anymore, though? I don't know. I haven't seen any of those cards. <laughs> and I've been to a post office. 
And they wanted to charge me a buck 18 online for my convenience. <laughs> now you are really sounding like a grumpy old man. Kiss <laughs> my ass a buck 18. I'm not going to tell them where I moved to. Screw them. Now, now they got to find me. Let, let them figure it out. <laughs> and, and I'll just take that a step further talk about security. Do you remember when the Department of Homeland Security was first instigated after September 11th? And one of the proposals was that postal carriers would be seconded to DHS to act as observers so that they could monitor strange goings on uh, and they could report directly to security services to say whether a particular residence was acting unusually or not. They were going to hire the postal carriers to snoop on the citizens they were delivering mail to. I don't that remember died a kind of quiet death. Along, yeah. with the, <laughs> along with the color code scheme. Do you remember the threat codes? Threat yes, code because we never threat... got out of orange. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was always orange. It was always orange. It was always orange. <laughs> It was never going to turn blue or green, which meant that things were okay. It was always, yeah, we got to keep the population, you know, on their toes. Let me take you to my next complaint as a grumpy old man. Oh, boy. Okay. It is, it is no longer a heightened security measure if it's been going on for 20 years. Right, right. If that's the, if, if that's the default de facto standard level of security, then, yeah, it's not heightened. That's the baseline. <laughs> And I don't blame IT and I don't blame security practitioners. I blame messaging. And I'm going to point the finger at an oddly at a service I happen to love, one near and dear to my heart, McDonald's. McDonald's mm -hmm. fucked up our language. When they changed okay. the meaning of small to medium. Uh. <laughs> Yeah, and uh, this goes. Uh, Starbucks does the same thing, although they changed the names entirely. But yeah, the, the Grande, the Venti, the you know whatever they are. Yeah, uh, yeah, but yeah, yes, uh, a McDonald's small is sixteen. It's a medium, but it's a which medium. Is, yeah, right. Which makes no sense because the word medium means in the middle of, and if it's the lowest one on the spectrum, it cannot be in the middle of. It just can't. Yep. <laughs> and it's that sort of messaging that I think has infected and affected all of mm -hmm. our communications capabilities, including security, where we say, you know, due to higher risks or because of existing threats. No, 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 no. Just say, here's the new normal. This is the way, right. you know, this is the new standard. And it might suck, but it's never going to go back to the way it was before. Don't promise me that at some day I will be able to wear my shoes in an airport without worrying about athlete's foot. If that's not ever going to be a possibility, don't tease me with that. Heightened right. is not right. heightened. Heightened is just, this is it. This is the new thing you're going to do from now. Yep. And why do some people not wear socks to the airport? There are people in flip-flops going to the <laughs> airport. That's just weird, man. That's just that's really weird. Twenty now years you're, into it, uh, now now you're veering off into yelling at kids on your lawn, <laughs> grumpy old man. It's just unsanitary. But, I mean, that's just. I mean, you uh, knew you were going to get into the line. I, 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 right. Right. Yeah, yeah, they weren't just going to let you uh, uh, slip on through wearing your flip flops. Yeah, you got to take them off, and and then you're barefoot in an airport that's nasty and dirty. And yeah, Ugh. <laughs> we all got to step on that floor, man. Come on. <laughs> Which is to say nothing about the people who are on the airplanes who then subsequently take their shoes off inside the airplane, sitting next to other passengers. <laughs> oh, you're okay with that? <laughs> I've done that. I've done that. I've done that. You know, you've been on your feet for 18 hours and you're constricted. And, you know, uh -huh. I've oh, done that. I, I, I will admit. But I have nice, breathable socks. Heavy, good okay, cotton so, socks that are absorbent. Okay. So you left your socks on at least. Okay. That's I, of course. Oh, yeah. <laughs> what movie was it where the guy's picking his toes on the plane? I was just. 
I think I think it was planes, trains, and automobiles. I think it was John Candy. Oh, the yes, yes, Steve Martin, John Candy. Yes, oh, it's been a while since yes. I've seen that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, okay. So, other complaints, other other quasi security technological oh, complaints. The, the, well, the big one, and and for me, always has been, but it always will be Microsoft, and 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 not just you know, <laughs> Windows Eleven. Not just Windows in general, but all their, uh, you know, the Microsoftification of software makes it all, everything's got to plug into each other. And, oh, by the way, well, uh, th this is going to be very specific, and, and, and I don't mean to, to, to get into such a very specific thing, but Windows 11, you were talking about Windows 11 just a little bit ago. If you buy a brand new Windows 11 computer and you go to set it up, A, it requires that it be set up on a network. It will not let you go any further until it's either on Wi-Fi or on a wired network, and B, it requires that you have a Microsoft account to set it up. So you can't even get to a desktop. So as soon as you turn it on the first time out of the box, you got to have an account, you got to have a network. Um, now, all that being said, being the, the IT professional that I am, obviously I have hacks to get around that. You have to do a couple of other little things and you can get around it. But to the average user, they can't get into a desktop without going out and setting up a, a Microsoft account. And if they if, if they have one, but they don't remember, then they get, you know, oh, that's the wrong password. Oh, then they got to go through all the password reset stuff. Anyways, it's a, it's a minor thing, but it's indicative of just how screwed up our, uh, the, the state of technology is nowadays. You buy a computer and you cannot get to a desktop to see icons and open up programs and install stuff without first going through this whole rigmarole of, Having an email address, having a network uh, account uh, or a network connection. That's not, a, that's not a minor thing. No, I I I, yeah. I agree with you wholeheartedly. That is hardware captivity. Yeah. That yeah. would be as if I bought a car and I'm not allowed to drive it off the lot until I call the DMV or register with the app. And register the vehicle as if the key, if I turn the key in the ignition and it wouldn't fucking start until I get a permission slip to own that vehicle. Um, yep. and, and again, you know, I, I hate to be the obsolescence guy, but it's kind of why I, I'd prefer, you know, a, a Corvette from 1967 to a Corvette today because I don't yep. want I don't want a remote stop on my car. I don't want anyone to be hacked. My, I'll roll up the damn windows myself, if that's what it takes. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. Uh, Cause there's even a trend now where simple things like the, uh, the accelerator pedal are that they no longer are connected by physical hardware cables and pulleys and stuff like that to the engine. It's, it's all sending wire. a wireless. Yeah. It's all sending a wireless signal to, to a computer. And that's, what's telling the throttle to open and close and make the car go or not go. Yeah, I know you guys did a whole episode on cars, and and I don't, we, we won't get off on all that. No, no, but but, but it's it's the same family of yeah. concepts, and and I'm totally in agreement with you that if I buy a laptop, it should not be the OS vendor who convinces me how I use that thing. Yeah. It's a physical object, and I should have full control of that physical object. I, I'm in total agreement with you there. Um, yeah, and it comes back to the whole subscription model of, uh, of uh, you know, all, all software is going to become you know, uh, software uh, subscription based. And, and that's what we're, where we're getting with Windows and, and all the Microsoft stuff. Um, you know, everything, all the Office suite is now subscription based. All the Adobe suite is now subscription based. Uh, yeah, it, it's a way to, to, to get a continuous stream of money because 20 years ago, 15 years ago, these, these software vendors realized People are buying copies of our software, and then we never see any more money from them ever again until they are forced to, to buy an upgrade. Well, let's just make sure that we just keep that revenue stream chugging along 12 times a year. <laughs> and, and, I, it's, and it's worked, and, and people have bought into it, and it's become the new normal. I think it's worse than that. I think it's not even a continued revenue stream. I think what it is is future financing. If they know they have this many subscribers, they can. They can monetize that. They can count that on their balance sheet and they can draw against future income to capitalize mm. that and make more investments in whether that's R&D, whether it's expansion, whether it's acquisition. Yeah. 
that's what I think it is. It's it's the same thing that they did with you know credit default swaps on mortgages, where mm-hmm. it's not the instrument itself, it's not the house itself that provides the value, it's not the collateral, it's the fact that you have a mortgage income stream from this many houses that you can now bundle as a value and sell that for uh, a, a markup. Um, yeah, I think that's what what the software companies are doing, and it's. I'm not sure it's going to help them in the long run, because at some point, someone is going to break that, going to break that Microsoft stranglehold. It won't be Linux. I guarantee you, yeah. it won't be Linux. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, no, uh, yeah, the Linux desktop is always coming next year. (laughs) And it's been been coming for 25, 30 years now. It's it's right there with quantum cryptography and Mm, cold fusion and, yeah. uh, Yeah, and and the joke in the gaming industry used to be uh, Duke Nukem Forever. I don't know if you remember that. Yeah, and it it (laughs) finally came out like two years ago or something? Yeah, yeah, and to, to absolutely no interest at all because it's yeah. been in development hell for 15 years or something like that yeah. but yeah but yeah right. uh subscription I'll, models suck i'll add one last complaint suck. okay right on the heels of what you just said vaporware hype mm-hmm. and messaging and i guess this goes into our communication language difficulty thing I just found out yesterday by reading something completely oblique to the topic that an American-made spacecraft crewed entirely by civilians mm-hmm. is coming back from the International Space Station. Yes. yes, they're already up there. Yeah, as we sit here right now, there are there, there, there's a spaceship that was all civilian, no military, no government, that went to the space station, yes. All private funding. Mm-hmm. Not one of my tax dollars went into it. Yep. At no risk to me, and they're going to be right. returning here. I think today. I think today or tomorrow. I think they're they're in free fall. They're coming back. Um, I I I had not heard about that nearly as much as I remember hearing with great fanfare when I was in eighth, ninth, tenth grade. Every time NASA said, well, we're going into a suborbital launch today. Everybody pay attention to us uh-huh. and everybody hold the phone. And here, we're not quite going to space, but this is a big deal. Right, and, it, right. and, it, and it seemed like that was magnified and amplified to ad nauseum. The only time, mm-hmm. you know, and I hate to say this, and this is not humorous, but the only time you know, I think we really paid attention was the Challenger and then eventually mm-hmm. the Columbia. Um, yeah. You know, how do these messages of massive, what I consider massive technological and sociological import not register in the public mindset except as a footnote after the fact when it used to be that would be trumpeting any not even incremental advancement. You know, every time yeah, an astronaut yeah. farted, it was seen as, you know, <laughs> a monumental right. accomplishment. Right. The first X, Y, Z, you know, pick whatever you, the, the, the first in space, the first, you know. Uh, Senior citizen. I remember when yeah. they launched poor yeah. Glenn back up John again. John Glenn. I was, I was say, yeah. <laughs> and, 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 but yeah, to your point, I think that a lot of that has to do with the fact that NASA, being a publicly funded or uh, uh, organization, relied a lot on public goodwill, and so yeah, they had a whole public affairs office that made sure that they stayed and um, in, in the faces and, and in, uh, on the TVs of of all of the constituents that were basically funding their efforts, and it worked because that was the whole reason that I went into the Air Force Academy was because I was intending to be an astronaut. I I, I bought in. Completely, and was was planning on being an astronaut. Obviously, that didn't happen. Otherwise, you I and me both be talking to you. You and me <laughs> right. both. And instead, yeah. we're chair bound and uh, yeah. right. <laughs> two old guys sitting around complaining on a on a radio <laughs> show that's on the internet. <laughs> hey, but, but yeah. now we could crowdsource it. We could actually buy mm-hmm. a ticket. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that's true. Yeah, if uh, if the uh, uh, sensuous sounds of infosec can do a <laughs> Kickstarter to raise a million bucks. We can go to the International Space Station. 
<laughs> Our listeners could literally kick us off the planet <laughs> if they chose to. They said, you know, these guys are just too annoying. They all they do is complain. Yeah. Let let's send them away. Right. Let's send them way, way away. Well, that was the joke when uh, uh, Jeff Bezos went on his little rocket ship ride. Uh, the, the, you know, the joke was, "Why on earth are you letting them back? You know, we yeah. got them <laughs> off the planet." <laughs> But yeah, uh, the, yeah, the, the messaging is, is is powerful, and that's part of what you know. NASA knows that, and because they needed those tax dollars, they needed the public uh, interest, and in, you know things like the Hubble Space Telescope and the Mars missions, and you know uh, the the Voyagers that are that have left the uh, the solar system, whereas the, uh, the the privately funded ones don't need the public, and 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 they, I'm sure they have public affairs offices, and they they do press releases and stuff like that, but it's just not as important because their their money is coming from other places. But I simply don't even see it as infectious a discussion, mm. and, and and maybe so the science you, yes. you needs to be the story. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, for whatever about Bezos, for whatever about Musk, for whatever about whoever and whatever, the fact that we're that not we, it's not a collective effort that these individuals are launching spacecraft that are fully mm. functional and that can actually perform better than anything NASA has had for three decades, that that they can re-land without, you know, without disposable uh, uh, booster yeah. systems. At, right. Have you seen the videos of that? That is holy straight shit. out of science fiction, watching those booster rockets land themselves back on the launch pad. Oh, it's amazing. Doesn't that blow your mind? I mean, yes. I, 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 I just... <laughs> It looks like CGI. It looks like yeah. bad CGI. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. I showed know, it to my it, wife and she was like, oh, yeah, that's out of a movie or something. I said, no, this is real. This is this actually happened. <laughs> somebody did that. Yeah. You know, and why this isn't capturing the imagination, because now every kid, you know, you and I went to the Air Force Academy, which in and of itself was elitist and exclusionary. Mm -hmm. Even though it was drawing from a deep pool of, you know, anyone can apply, yeah. uh, assuming you have the right DNA characteristics and blah, 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 blah. And even behavioral characteristics because they, the military was anti-LGBT at the time. Mm -hmm. And anti and, a lot of things. Anti a lot of things. And today in a world where anyone could realistically purchase that ticket you know forget charlie and the chocolate factory you don't have to find the golden ticket all you have to do is get enough people together you could crowdsource and get yourself into space that should be exciting for every 12 year old kid out there who dreams about space flight that yeah. should be the thing that everyone's harnessing their imagination to and i just don't see it and forget the driven stuff, the public affairs or PR resources, the propaganda. Um, it just doesn't seem to be catching hold, even the way Heinlein and Asimov and Clark stories used to do when we were kids. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. yeah. And I wonder if it's because space flight and outer space and astronomy and all that stuff, if that's now competing so heavily with what we have down here on Earth with all the... All, all the distractions, all of the the entertainment options, all of the other things, if kids just aren't as interested because I, I, I can put on a pair of Oculus VR goggles and, and simulate going into space and it's 95% of the same same thing. I'm not floating, but I feel like I am. Maybe there's just it, there's just too much competition for the uh, for the eyeballs or for the you know uh, the entertainment value. I don't know. That's, that's a really a that's a guy. really good point. Why have to wear the adult diapers and weather nine G forces if you can visualize and experience the same things from the comfort of your own home? That that's a really good yeah. point. And there was an artist, I forget his name, who was doing, I think it was called My Rocket or something like that, where he's he's basically doing that. He's 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 letting people design their own spacecraft and uh letting them absorb the experience through virtual or, or um, hmm. uh, augmented reality. Uh, and maybe that's the case. Yeah. Yeah. That could be, that could be, that could be it. That could be yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. Cause why have to suffer the, 
the privations. Yeah, yeah. You know, becoming an astronaut. I mean, uh, you know, obviously we lived through the space shuttle years and 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 all the years of training that they had to do. Well, shoot, all I got to do is spend three hundred ninety nine bucks, get an Oculus, strap it on my head, and thirty minutes later, I'm in space. To to my brain, it's, I'm I'm in space. So yeah, there's competition there, and that's maybe that's really the whole downfall of. Maybe that's the that maybe that's how the uh, the human species finally meets its end. Is we were just uh, th- there's a famous book uh, by Neil Postman that came out in the in the early '90s called "Amusing Ourselves to Death." Hmm. It's just just the amusement value of you know all the the entertainment options that we have will lead to, uh, as he postulated thirty years ago, <laughs> to the downfall of humanity basically because we have no desire to go out and explore and do the hard stuff. Well, why do the hard, difficult things if you can get uh, all the all the good parts of it without putting in any effort. Well, uh, and I again, I don't want to, I don't want to knock that too much. You know, you, you take that to its natural extension, and you get H.G. Wells and the Eloy. You know, yeah, I'm right, right. You know, I I'm not quite sure that's how Rome falls either. I think, I think personal individual comfort is something to be desired, not something to be terrified of. And not something to necessarily denigrate. Um, I think we should pursue our own happiness and our own satisfaction as much as possible, as long as it's not harming anyone. And I think our productivity continues apace with our entertainment capabilities as well. We're still Mm -hmm. a lot more productive than any peasant or serf was doing subsistence agricultural for their fiefdom (laughs) or their, you know, their vassal, you know, that's just true. Yeah. I, I, you know, so I'm not quite sure that the two things are, I I don't think that they're adverse. I think Mm -hmm. they can be complementary. Okay. Okay. I think I don't want to lead that, that into a, a, a way to complain about the you know the Gen Z and the millennials. But <laughs> <laughs> okay, what what would you what would you say about them? Oh oh, again, I, I deal firsthand with Gen Z. Uh, my oldest is a millennial, and my my younger two are are uh, Gen Z. And oh my gosh, getting these kids to do stuff. Uh, like just simple stuff like apply for scholarships or, or even apply for college or even just say, hey, this is what I want to do after I graduate high school. <laughs> I, I'm sure that you and I had similar experiences where uh, we, we applied on our own, didn't use our parents for much of anything in terms of uh, um, having them fill out the applications for us or anything like that. We certainly didn't need the motivation or the push to go out and do stuff. Oh my gosh. And it's not just my kids. Although I love to rag on my kids because they're all shits and they all just get under my skin. <laughs> but, but no, I love them to death. They're, they're wonderful kids. But my gosh, they, they, they get, oh, they, they get so lazy and they, they wait until the last minute to turn in assignments. And we've had teachers call us saying, oh, your, 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 your kid is getting ready to fail my, my class because they haven't turned in the work. You go to the kid and say, why have you had turned in the work? And they're, well, I have turned it in. Well, yeah, you turned it in a week late and he hasn't gotten around to grading it yet. But anyways, yeah, the 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 attitude towards hard work and, and is markedly different. And again, this sounds like such an old guy thing to say, because I know that our parents and our grandparents looked at us and said the same thing 30, 40 years ago. Oh, my gosh, this new generation of kids. It's... Uh, it, Companies and organizations are adjusting the way that they they handle things in in offices and and uh, human resources and, and how you deal with people because people are much more in tune with their emotions and they're much more concerned about emotional health, with uh, mental health. I mean that's which again I'm not knocking that, but Let me, uh, <laughs> please first me first gag. <laughs> first I'm gonna I'm gonna piggyback on exactly what you said. If anything, my parents were kind of anti me going to the academy. Uh-huh. So not only did they not fill out the paperwork for I remember never during during that application process, you'd have to go to the physical fitness test thing and there'd be 30 mm-hmm. other kids there. I remember kids whose parents drove them there and were sitting outside waiting for them and you know uh-huh. My parents were nowhere to be found. I mean, I had to find my way to those things because, you know, my parents didn't even want me going into the military. So, yes, yeah. I totally understand that. 
But I'm going to, as much as it frustrates me to deal with millennials, which is ironic in terms of my household. (laughs) And and as much as Gen Z just chafes the living piss out of me, I'm going to ask if their approach in challenging us on our assumptions isn't actually a good thing. Okay. Because why does the work have to be in on a certain time? Why does it have to be graded according to this timeline? Why is it due here? Why is it important? Right. Right. Some authority figures assigning an arbitrary date and and, then saying do it by then. And and I will say this as as a teacher, I used to leave it up to the students. I used to say, okay, Mm -hmm. you know, I'm going to grade it this night because it's convenient for me. And if you hand Mm -hmm. it in after this time, I'm dropping 10%. And if you hand it mm-hmm. in the next day, it's another 10%. The next day, and I'd leave it up to them. They could choose their timeline and they'd be received their grade accordingly. But I'm going to liken this to another argument I heard about another business model. And the other business model was how destructive Walmart is. And I remember mm-hmm. somebody, somebody telling me 10 years ago how bad Walmart was for disrupting existing businesses. And the example that they yeah. used was they said, you know, Levi's Blue Jeans has been around for 150 years and they have 10,000 employees and they make this many units at this much per unit. And Walmart said, we'll only let you sell in our system if you knock 10% right off the top. Right. And it forced Levi's to re-examine everything they were doing to capture, to sell into that huge market, and it forced them to actually find ways to cut some of the things they right. were doing. And to the find person, the missing inefficiencies. Correct. And what this person was saying to me is it wasn't fair to Levi's. They had to reduce quality or they had to let people go or they had to do this or they had to do that. And I said, okay, but is Levi's still around? And are they selling right. in Walmart? And it's successful. The, And are they still successful and profitable? And if that's the case, wasn't Walmart helping the entire supply chain by forcing Levi's to decalcify and re-innovate their existing business model in a way that consumers will still find cheaper, you know, Mm -hmm. more readily available, easier to access? And isn't this better for everybody? And I don't know. I don't know if the answer is yes or no. Because I do remember as a customer when Levi's felt different, where it stopped feeling like that thick, heavy <laughs> denim. You know, right. you know what I'm saying? I mean, right, right, right. Yeah, the quality changed. There was something, yeah, yeah there was something, something inherently different. Ways. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, I'm wondering if these millennials and Gen Zers aren't really challenging us in the same way. Why should they have to go to a fucking office from nine to five? Why should they have to show up to a daily meeting? A lot of these things were being challenged back in the 1980s by guys like um, Tom Peters and uh, uh, I forget his co-author in the whole management by walking around thing. And, you know, that the idea was if you're having a daily meeting, you're doing something wrong. You're inhibiting people from actually doing their jobs. You you have a meeting when you need to have a meeting. You don't just have a meeting arbitrarily to make stuff keep going. Um, So I'm wondering if Gen Z isn't kicking everyone in the ass by not owning a permanent fixed address, by, you know, (laughs) changing from job to job as they feel like and taking power Mm -hmm. back to themselves as individuals, hunting down their own satisfaction in just as much productivity and profitability as they choose for themselves. I don't know. I, I know it's a pain in the ass to schedule them and to hire them and to use them. <laughs> right. right. We, we, we still live in a society and they have to interact with that society, following the societal norms to some degree or another. So, <laughs> But are they changing the norms and we're the ones who are going to be late to catch up? I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> I, I don't know. They're not eating each other yet, so obviously they're doing something correct. And I don't know if it's just them living off the husks of what we created, but 
I don't know. I, it'll it'll be interesting to see if we are allowed to live that long after um, uh, uh, what's after the, the uh, Cali- Calliope? No, what's the? Uh, oh, you're pointing at your after, palm like I should know what you're talking. Where the about. crystal? Where the crystal is after we age past it and we're we're we have oh, uh, Logan's run. Yeah. But, oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> what's the fest? What's the festival after it starts with a C? Celebration. Damn it! All right, I, I've totally ruined that that pop culture reference. Sorry. <laughs> um, uh, and by the way, the the artist is Tom Sachs, and okay. it's called Rocket Factory, and okay. NFTs are somehow incorporated. And again, NFTs are another thing I can complain oh, about for another. <laughs> That's a whole other. <laughs> Yeah. Why don't we get a, get into cryptocurrency while we're at it? Boy, we'll yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I'll go ahead and I'll put the link in the show notes. Tom Sachs, rocketfactory.com. And uh, uh, I think that's the idea of it is a virtual reality shared spaceship environment. Okay. I don't get it. Whatever. I still would love to go to Mars, even if it took four years each way. Yeah, and, and I've had that conversation with my wife because she knows how much I love uh, space and astronomy and, and wanting to be an astronaut. And and the day that I realized that I had gotten old was the day that I that she asked me, "Would you still want to go to Mars if you if the opportunity presented itself with you as you are right now, you know, uh, a house, kids, dog, good job? Would you still want to go to Mars?" And I finally had to sit down and say. Nope, I, I I don't think that I would. Now you're in a different position. You don't have the the the, the kids and all the things drawing you back. Uh, yeah, that, but that, that, that's... yeah, but on the on the other hand, I I, I don't think my back would take it. Yeah. <laughs> um, while well, eight years of solitude might be a really nice thing, you know, as, yeah. as just an experiment, I don't think I could the... manage. Would would the eight years of uh, weightlessness uh, help your back more than the uh, ten minutes of nine G's <laughs> damage it? <laughs> and with that horrible concept, I think it's time to to bring this episode to an end. Um, yep. Until next week, I'm Ben Maliso, and I'm Matt Snotty. Join us again next week for another episode of The Sensuous Sounds of Infosec. <laughs>